Welcome to Airtime, a podcast by Elevate Aviation, exploring all things aviation with a focus on the people inside the industry and their careers. Here is your host and podcast producer, Kendra Kincaid. Good morning, good morning or good afternoon, depending on where you are. Uh, it is, of course, good morning for me here in Edmonton. And uh, it's uh, good afternoon for Mr. Neil Wilson, who is our guest today. Um, so before we get going and before I officially introduce you to our guest, I just want to say again, welcome to Elevate Aviation's Airtime. Uh, it's a webinar series where we explore people inside aviation and we get to learn uh, a little bit about them and from them and hope that this makes your life uh, a little bit better somehow in some way. Um, before I introduce Neil, I want to talk about uh, something that's coming up for us. On August 22nd, Elevate Aviation is hosting a Transport Canada approved pilot recurrent training day. So if you're a pilot and you want to get your um, recurrency training, you can join us. You can go to elevateaviation.ca and you can join up for that. It's free. Like I said, it's Transport Canada approved and uh, it's going to be a full day. We're talking about things like um, ADSB, the Red Deer airspace, the new airspace that's coming out, uh, for flight, and there'll be some other subjects throughout the day, full day activities. So that'll be a lot of fun. The other thing I wanted to let you know about is that we are taking our Elevate Aviation Learning Center online. So it won't just be available for the people who come out to join us for the week. It'll be available to really anyone who wants to know more about aviation careers. So you'll have an opportunity to uh, share aviation careers with people who don't know about it. Um, if you are not on our newsletter, you can again go to elevateaviation.ca, sign up for our newsletter, and it will keep you posted on on all of this, including the guests that we have in our webinar. So today's guest, I am just thrilled. I'm so excited. So sit back, grab a coffee or tea, relax, and uh, you get to listen to Neil Wilson, who's the president and CEO of NAV Canada. Uh, he became the president and CEO on January 1st in 2016. And uh, Mr. Wilson is a lawyer by trade. Um, and so I'm kind of curious how you go from lawyer to CEO of NAV Canada. So we're going to get into that a little bit. But when Neil became the president of NAV Canada, he brought a wave of change into NAV Canada. Um, you know, the previous CEO, I don't even recall ever meeting him. And I think it was within months. It seems like it was in, within months of Neil becoming the president. Um, I'd seen him twice in our building and had met him briefly. So that was a big change just right there. And then he made the employees an important part of NAV Canada and putting the employees first. So that was a big change. Another big thing that I, uh, um, I love is that uh, for all of you who know me, my mission is to try to help women find economic security in their careers. And we use aviation as our platform to do that uh, because we, excuse me, we love aviation. 
And it was the support of this man, our guest today, who has made that possible for me in the last two years to be able to um, travel around the world, uh, especially our country, and speak on aviation. And, um, and he's, you know, puts his approval on our cross-country tours when NAVCANA opens their doors to thousands of young women that we bring in to talk about aviation. So it was really his support that's allowed that to happen. So I love that as well. So... Right now, here he is, Mr. Neil Wilson. Good, good afternoon. <laughs> good afternoon, Kendra. I can't live up to that. I can't live up to that introduction, but thank you very much. Thank you oh. very much. It's great to be here. Well, I am so glad that you made time for us. And the first question I want to jump into is what I talked about just a moment ago is, is, is really, you are a lawyer. Yes. So first of all, did you always want to be a lawyer? Like, how did you get into that? Did you grow up saying, mom, dad, I, you know, I want to be a lawyer from no, an early no, age? No, 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 not at all. Um, I was in, I guess, um, I didn't even think of law as, uh, as a career until I, I was in law school. I, I was interested in law and the study of law when I was doing my undergraduate work in political science and, uh, uh, and economics and philosophy. And I was interested in, in the law and the concept of law. Um, but it was really when I went to law school and started to see all of the different areas that I could, uh, that I could experience and, and think about and uh, begin to think about practicing in that I became interested in becoming a lawyer. And then when I left law school and joined the law firm, I, I, I did join here in Ottawa um, a long, long time ago now. But uh, when I joined them and was exposed to even more areas of the law, um, that I really became fascinated with being a practitioner, with being a lawyer. Um, for, right off the bat, my, my practice originally was practicing in the area of, uh, of defamation law, so representing media outlets in, across the country, and mainly here in Ottawa, but really across the country. And I, until I joined that firm and saw that, I didn't even know that that kind of work existed. And so I was, uh, uh, I became more and more interested in being a lawyer and developing as a lawyer as the time went on. You know, that's interesting because that's, you know, what we're trying to do with aviation is just expose more people to the career so that they know that they're out there. Exactly. Because that's that's the number one thing people say when we like, especially on our cross country tours, you know, like I said, thousands of young women, the number one question that they ask us at the end of the day is, why haven't we heard of these careers? So it's getting yes. that, that exposure is so important. And, so, as, you, and as you know, in specific and in particular at NAV Canada, the awareness of what we do at NAV Canada across the country is, is very, very low. And that's been something that we've really been focusing on is just expose people. And you have done a great job at that, you know, with the, the summer camps that we have and uh, with Elevate, um, just been tremendous at, uh, at exposing a lot of young people to what they can do here at, at NAV Canada or elsewhere in aviation. Yeah. Well, the people in aviation and on our team, they are so passionate. Like it seems like people who get into aviation are also passionate about aviation, which brings me to my next question, which is you didn't have a love for aviation, I'm assuming growing up. And yet now you're the present CEO uh, in the aviation industry. Yeah. Um, what, what did that journey look like? You know, it's been, it's really been, uh, I would say the last 10 years, um, maybe 15 years that I've started to develop this love for aviation. And in particular, I, I think really since I took on the role I'm in now as CEO, which has given me the opportunity to travel so much across the country 
and see what it is that we at Nav Canada do, how we interact with the, the aviation community, and, and really experience what aviation in Canada, but also internationally, is all about. One of my favorite, absolute favorite parts of this job is the opportunity to visit our, our locations, our operational locations. Um, you'd think that they would all be the same, but each and every single one of them is different. Um, I love going and seeing how the operation is working, whether it be where you are, you know, Edmonton ACC or Norman Wells or anywhere else in the country. I just, um, I have really, as you say, developed a great love for aviation because of that and through that, yeah. Um, so um, I heard actually that you were one of the ladies, you were in the uh, IFSS Gander area one time and apparently you had the headset on yeah and uh, that went around a little bit that you did that so that was that was fun that you did that for them. and I gained a, a huge amount of appreciation for what those folks do and their ability to actually understand what pilots are saying uh, on those frequencies which are not the easiest things to to, to determine yeah no yeah I went out to visit and I it's just all scratchy and I'm like what you, you'd listen to this but it was they're pretty amazing. Um, yep. Yeah, so I mean, the awareness of aviation and, and all the different careers inside NAV Canada, um, a lot of people think it's just air traffic control. Those who know what air traffic control is, but of course there's the FSS and the IFSS and the ATOS and the tech and the engineering. And like, there's so many careers inside NAV Canada that people don't know about and all wonderful careers inside NAV Canada. So we shall continue to, yes. to, to promote that for people. Um, <laughs> Okay, so can you tell me a little bit about when NAV Canada privatized from the government? Um, you were part of that. Yes. Um, so what, what did that look like? I came in actually after that. So I was one of the ones that, that I wasn't part of the old air traffic control. Um, but what was that like? That was, that was really your first experience with NAV. Yeah, I, yeah. so uh, this is back in the, uh, you know, uh, the mid '90s, and um, at that time, in my uh, law practice, I had a number of aviation clients, some airlines, um, but one in particular was the Air Transport Association of Canada (ATAC), and ATAC was really taking the lead from the um, air carrier perspective on commercializing, privatizing uh, the air navigation system in Canada, and it was. You know, it was a unique consensus reached at that time amongst all the stakeholders, not just the the uh, the airlines, but also all of the employees represented by their unions, by the government, by the general aviation, the business aviation folks, all of those people that uh, the system wasn't being particularly well run or de delivering the kind of value that the stakeholders uh, all wanted and expected. Um, and so they reached this consensus that it could be done differently through a different kind of organization. So, um, uh, as I said, I was representing ATAC, and ATAC was a real um, driving force behind the commercialization. And so they came to me as their outside lawyer to start working on putting together the, 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 the corporate model and the governance model, and then to start negotiating uh, with the government to buy the system uh, from the government. So I spent probably a year and a half of my life working through that deal to privatize and to bring the system out from government into a, into a private corporation. It was a great time. And so did you, did you sort of witness the whole transition of 
air traffic controllers and maybe uh, how to say this, maybe the attitude towards Nav Canada for like from that transition of when it was government till today, there was there was quite a bit of transition there. Um, oh, well, there's been and huge, not all that absolutely. great. No, and and no, and there have been ups and downs. Absolutely, um, yeah. Throughout you know, so since Nav Canada uh, was brought into being, and then when it took on responsibility on November the first, nineteen ninety six. Um, I've been, you know, either working for the company or in, inside the company, um, or I've been advising the company as the outside lawyer. Um, so I have, yeah, I've seen, you know, uh, the state of relations uh, between the company and all the employees, uh, the state of relations between the company and customers, uh, right across, you know, throughout the, the entire history of the organization. And I think if there's one thing that, um, you know, if we went back and tried to do it again, and uh, we would try and do a much better job with, you know, the relations that we've had with the employees um, through time. Those in, those in particular, those initial years were, they were tough. They were tough. There was a lot of expectations on the part of the employees when they came over into the private sector. And uh, a lot of those expectations weren't met by the company. And so that created a, a difficult situation for a number of years. Yeah. Do you think that uh, the FAA will ever go the same route? I have great doubts. Uh, so I've gone through at least um, two sets of um, consultations, if I can put it that way, with the, with, uh, the Americans. On two occasions, um, there have been um, uh, attempts to get you know, the NAV Canada model going down in the States to privatize the FAA. Uh, when that has happened, um, you know, legislation has been introduced into Congress, and that has triggered a bunch of American politicians um, coming up to meet with us. So on a couple of occasions, the Secretary of Transportation from the, in the U.S. has come up uh, with leading people in the FAA, with congressmen, so both um, uh, representatives and senators. And we've talked with them. And um, as I say, the legislation has been in, put into Congress, but it, is, uh, it hasn't advanced. It hasn't become law. Um, I think unlike what we have here in Canada, they don't have down there, which is that, as I say, that unique consensus amongst all the stakeholders that this is a better way to do things. I know that the, uh, the unions down in, in the U.S., um, certainly NATCA, uh, are strong proponents of uh, uh, commercialization. Uh, a number of uh, interests down there are as well, but there are, you know, there are a number of factions or, or participants in the process who who don't see the benefits of it and prefer the uh, the existing model. So I, you know, they've tried it. They've tried it. There's a lot of um, people interested, but I don't know that they'll ever they'll ever get it across the line. Hmm. You think they look at Nav Canada and, and yeah, and yep. Anyway, that's what we say. That's what we say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, I just want to say hi to Julia. Julia, she's watching and she's 16 years old. So future. Hi, Julia. Nav Canada, maybe. Yes. Uh, and she says that she's so grateful and impressed with Nav Canada. And she even got a couple of wonderful tours of different operational facilities. So uh, who knows? Julia might be uh, a Nav Canada employee. Absolutely. One day, Absolutely. So when um, it came time, that uh, Nav Canada was looking for a new CEO. Yeah. Can, can you just like, I'm really curious, what makes someone go, I could be the CEO of that company. I, I, I could lead that company. Like there, there's, some, there's some thought behind that. There's um, a lot of thought, yeah. There's what, a lot of thought you, behind it. What does that look like? 
So, well, I, I mean, it's a, it's a big decision. It's a big D decision in your, in your life. Um, so, in, you know, in, in the years before January the 1st, 2016, um, uh, the, my predecessor, John Crichton, was looking at retiring. And um, so as part of, you know, his job, it was to help develop potential successors. And so I was given some opportunities for development. And so I, I was the in-house counsel here at NAV Canada, but I was also given responsibility for human resources and labor relations and for stakeholder relations and a number of things as development opportunities. Um, and so went through that and got a broader management experience than I had had um, when I was the lawyer um, and running the corporate services group only. Um, and then it got closer. And so they started to talk to me about the job. And to be honest, a couple the first couple of times they talked to me, having gone through that development process, seeing where the company was at that stage of its history, thinking about what I could do and not do, um, I said no to them the first couple of times because I didn't think that um, what I had uh, was really necessarily what the company needed. I'd been with the company for a long time. Um, so I had been through some of those difficult periods. I had seen a number of things and I thought that perhaps I was too um, stuck in the, in the past, if you will. Um, but I thought about it and I thought about it and I thought, you know, there are a number of things about Now Canada that were great, that are great. Uh, there were real strengths and were strengths that we could build upon. Uh, but one of the areas that I thought uh, was not as strong as it should be and needed to be was um, having an equal focus on all stakeholders, on providing value to all stakeholders, and in particular, um, elevating all of our employees to the same level uh, as the customers. So we've always done a great job for the customers in this company. We should, and I thought we needed to do an equally great job for all of the employees. Um, and so I thought that was something that I could bring to the table and that I could um, get behind and lead. So that was really uh, the, what sparked my decision to say, yeah, this is, I, you know, I do want to do this and I'm going to do this. I think you made that clear too, especially early on. I remember when you went around and you were visiting all the, the sites and you spoke about putting, making the employees important. Um, yeah. And that was new language, I think, from, from the controllers, maybe, the, you know, the employees. I think that was new language. Yeah. Um, which was which was really welcome. So so that was that Glad. was really good. Yeah. Good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So okay. So uh, you know, I'm just curious. Um, so we'll just then we'll get off. We we have a question here I want to get to. But um, when you um, decide to go forward to be the CEO, what does what does that look? So the board of Nav Canada, just so people know, yep. who might not know, the board of Nav Canada picks the CEO. Um, is it, is it, a, is it a, a large process? Is it a scary process? If someone's looking to ever become a, a CEO, I mean, there's even people inside Nav Canada that I'm sure one day want to, wants to reach that. Level. Yeah, I, yeah. Um, is it a pretty scary level? It's, um, yeah, it's, you know, it's a little intimidating. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, brings a little bit of anxiety, brings, uh, uh, a little bit of, you know, nervousness but all good anxiety and all good nervousness. If you don't want to do it, you shouldn't do it. So, um, and uh, you should expect that it's going to challenge you. Um, and challenges obviously, you know, can, are exciting, uh, but they can create a little bit of 
mm-hmm. what have I gotten myself into? Um, yeah. So yeah, no, it's, so there's a bit of a process in terms of interviews, but because I'd been with the company so long, the board knew me, um, uh, knew who I was, what I was. Uh, so we had a bit of a process really about saying, uh, you know, this is what I think needs to happen here and this is what I want to do. And so they saw that um, and it was on that, the basis of that that they made the decision of, yes, this is the direction we want to go and this is the person we want to, uh, to lead the company in that direction. Okay, someone's asking, I, sus- I suspect that being the CEO of a huge company takes up a lot of your time. How do you manage that? And do you have any free time for hobbies? And I, you're a runner, so I know you runner, must yeah. fit that in there. Yeah. So how, <laughs> yeah. how do you fit in time? You make sure you do it. Uh, you know, I think one of the most important things for any leader is that you have balance and balance in your life, balance in how you approach everything, uh, but balance in your life. And so if you don't make the time um, to take care of yourself, your physical health, your mental health, um, you're not going to do very well um, in, in the job. You could spend 16-hour days every, every day um, and fail completely, frankly, if you don't have that kind of balance. So yeah, no, I make sure I spend time and, and make time for my family, uh, make sure I make time for myself. Uh, and as you say, I'm, I do a lot of running. So I run four or five days a week, probably a little less with the, the events of the last few months. It's been a little uh, tough to get out and do things because we've been very busy. And, and then this summer has been really hot here in Ottawa. So it's not been that pleasant to get out and run, but uh, uh, as many times a week as I can. Yeah. Um, okay. Someone has a question here for you. What exactly is a great job for a Nav Canada customer? When I think of Nav Canada, I think of controlling airplanes. Does Nav Canada do more than that? Oh boy, yes, yes. Do we ever? Um, so we have air traffic controllers, as this person knows and and, and sees. Uh, we have flight service uh, specialists who uh, provide advisory service. Uh, they p- provide flight information. We have uh, the ATOS folks who do the um, the, the flight planning and and uh, flight information as well. Um, but those are the sort of, you know, really directly related to managing um, the airspace. Uh, but if you move beyond that, we have the people who plan all the airspace, who come up with all the standards and the procedures for how it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. We then have an enormous group of, uh, and a fantastic group of en- engineers and techs who design and build and deploy and implement and maintain all of the systems. Uh, and we're a very much a high tech company. Uh, required to facilitate all of the aviation everywhere in Canadian airspace. Um, we all have we have all of the the traditional corporate f- um, functions that you'd have at uh, at a large organization. So we have our uh, our IM group, our you know our IT group that does all the business systems. We have our lawyers and our finance people and our HR people and our labor people and our you know our warehouse. So we've got you know our contracting group. We've got lots and lots of uh, those kinds of jobs as well. So um, we do an awful lot of things and we run a training and conference center down in Cornwall. That's got, you know, a lot of, a lot of existing employees know about it, but um, uh, we run, you know, a place that has 600 rooms for people to come in for conferences and training. And so we've got a host of businesses. Yeah. Yeah. Nav Canada is a lot. Well, most people just don't know what Nav Canada is period. No. No, but no, yeah. we're pretty quiet behind the scenes. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yes. Okay, here, here's another question. Uh, good morning, good afternoon. My name is uh, Jeff, class floor instructor um, in Ontario, First Nations Technical Institute, FNTI. They have quite a high number of female pilots from the first year to the third year. How can I get the more information on NAV Canada employment opportunities? Thanks again, Neil and Elevate. So go to our website, go to www.navcanada.ca and you'll find links to all of our uh, employment related websites as well uh, in terms of the job offerings that we have and the opportunities that we have. Um, uh, and uh, you will find our materials about uh, leave ordinary behind um, because that's as a company what we think we offer. We offer an opportunity uh, to people uh, to do something that they won't do in any other organization that's completely different from any other organization in, in this country um, and will be really uh, an extraordinary career for people who want to come and work here. Mm -hmm. I can vouch for that. <laughs> um, so, uh, Carolyn, good morning, Carolyn. Are there any books or courses that you recommend for leadership skills? Oh, boy. I, there are... Um, I think you, I don't have any that I recommend, I, 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 and any specific ones. Um, that doesn't mean don't avail yourself of all the ones that are out there. I think that um, when I think about the, the, the books that I've read on leadership, um, I will get one or two nuggets from just about every book that I read. And it's not, you know, a whole approach that's a nugget that I take. It's one or two things that the author talks about or reveals or, or, or speaks about. And um, I say that because I, I firmly believe that to be an effective leader, you've got to be your own person. You've got to lead uh, based on your own skills, your own abilities, your own instincts. Um, I don't know that you can read a book and say, okay, here's, I'm going to start with chapter one and end in chapter 24. And then I know how to be a leader. I think you take it all in, you think about how it relates to your sensibilities, your intuition, your values, um, and some you'll reject, some you'll incorporate, um, and just take on, take in as much as you can that way. Okay. I do want to get back into the leadership questions a little bit, but first I want to uh, talk about the current environment. Um, yeah. So here's a question. This is, a, this, this is the question. Um, with the aviation industry being hit the hardest by COVID, uh, do you have any predictions on when air traffic control will begin to pick up again? And do you think it will ever get back to what it was? Simple question. There you simple go. Question. Yeah. Well, not, not soon enough. Not soon enough. We'd all like to, uh, to have it start coming back. Um, obviously, it's been significantly impacted. Um, the, the large passenger carriers, uh, their traffic is off, obviously, you know, by an enormous amount, uh, really, really significantly. Um, our traffic, because we manage all kinds of traffic, not just passenger traffic, but also cargo and medevacs and that sort of thing, is not off as much as the commercial passenger carriers is off, but it's still off upwards right now of about 70% from where it was in January, February. Um, it's come back a little bit. It was off, I guess, you know, about 80%. So we're starting to see it come back a little bit, but it's a long way off yet. We think it'll come back to about... 80% of, you know, where it was in January, February by this time next year, um, roughly, you know, give or take a little bit. Um, it's coming back slowly. It, um, uh, people are nervous about flying. They're not comfortable about flying. Um, they, uh, our situation here in Canada is significantly impacted by 
uh, what's going on south of the border and the, uh, the situation in the U.S. when it comes to the spread of COVID and much, much higher rates of, in, uh, of uh, infection down there. Um, that has kept the U.S.-Canada border closed effectively um, or for, to, the, to a large extent, but also um, has greatly impacted, obviously, the flights between uh, the U.S. and Europe, which is a significant part of what we do, because if you fly between those two places, you're, you're going to, you know, just the way the Earth curves, you're going to fly through Canadian airspace. Um, so until the U.S. gets their situation in a better place, um, mm. it's going to be it's going to be a tough, tough road to hope. A tough road to hope. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, Caleb, hi Caleb. Caleb's asking this. I googled privatization of the FAA in the United States and found an argument that there are more delays in the countries that have implemented privatization. I like hearing you, Neil, but feel skeptical being a U.S. citizen of potential for union busting, which is left over from the Ronald Reagan firing air traffic controllers. Our current president tends to fire people who disagree with him. <laughs> I googled Nav Canada too and am impressed. Are you? Uh, are you also pulled politically in Canada? And if so, how do you navigate it? So a couple of things. Um, I think if you look at our, you know, our record on, on delays and restrictions, um, we have one of the best record in terms of servicing our customers of any air navigation service provider in the world. Uh, in other words, we have some of the fewest delays and restrictions um, anywhere in the world. Um, in terms of you know the politics, one of the reasons for commercialization, one of the real driving uh, reasons for it, was to separate um, the regulator from the operator. So with the FAA or the way it used to be here in Canada before privatization, uh, the same person who was regulating the system was operating the system, and so the political be became or was in Canada very important. Uh, in what happens. And so in terms of whether a facility was opened or closed and where and how and those sorts of things, um, politics became very, very important, uh, as it is in the U.S. still. Uh, with the separation of regulator from operator, uh, you remove that inherent conflict of interest. And so um, we have very, very little uh, political influence, if I can put it that way, on um, on what we do, how we do it, where we do it, and when we do it. Um, politicians will phone us. They'll try and influence. Obviously, that's their job to promote their communities, their jurisdictions, their provinces, whatever. Um, but, you know, one of the favorite things for a minister of transport to say, is if he or she hears something or is trying to be influenced on something around air traffic management, is say, that's not our role. That's NAMP Canada. They're a private corporation. Go talk to them. Um, so... Uh, the uh, the extent of political influence um, is uh, is almost non-existent with us. Um, interesting in the U.S. in the discussions about privatizing the FAA. That's one of the reasons why those who are opposed to privatization want to keep it the way it is because they like to have the influence um, and the ability to influence where the jobs will be, how they'll be performed, and and how they'll be done. So, no, uh, we're remarkably free of those kinds of uh, issues here in Canada. Well, and I think even like the technology that comes in through NAV Canada, am I wrong to say that it, it gets pushed much quicker inside yes. NAV Canada than, than it may in the States? Um, I, I was in Spain 
at that world ATM and I was, I was just walking around and I was at the, the American booth, the FAA, and, and they were showing everyone they're, they, they're all showing off their technology. And they said, where are you from? And I said, Canada, Nav Canada. And they're like, oh, you don't need to see this. Like you're already past this. So I thought, you know, Nav Canada really is a world leader and being private probably helps with that. I'm thinking. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It did. I, um, one of the first things that we did as a company when we uh, were privatized and, and, and took on responsibility for the system was to uh, invest in our engineering group, our systems engineers, um, and give them the, the, the job not to manage outside contractors and purchasing systems, but to build the systems themselves, write the code themselves, uh, put these systems together. And so we have developed over the years a remarkably talented group of engineers who are world leaders when it comes to designing and building air traffic management systems. And, um, you know, Kendra, you'll recall because you were there at World ATM in Madrid, uh, we have a booth, we're there with a booth because we sell our systems. Mm -hmm. We sell our systems uh, around the world. And so our tower system is in, uh, oh, it's in Hong Kong, it's in Dubai, it's in Copenhagen, it's in every single tower in the UK, Heathrow. Um, all of every tower throughout the UK and lots and lots of other places. So the same tower system or the same system we use to manage traffic in a tower here in Canada or a flight service station here in Canada is exactly the same system you're going to see in Heathrow Tower, one of the busiest airports in the world. And for people watching, you know, when we talk about the careers inside Nav Canada, there's another career. You get to travel. You get to travel. And, and <laughs> we have people who sell this stuff, right? There's yes. employees who actually travel around and sell. That's so, right. Um, so here's a question um, regarding the connection between this company and working with military organizations in the aviation field. Can you discuss, uh, sorry, and working with military organizations in the aviation field, can you discuss this, please, the focus areas in aviation? Well, our relationship with, with uh, National Defense in Canada is um, very close. Um, uh, DND, Department of National Defense, has its own um, air traffic controllers. They have military controllers for uh, at um, um, you know military at air bases and um, where they have control towers, um, but they don't tend to do a lot of en route air traffic control. Uh, so we manage their aircraft when they are outside of designated military airspace and um, uh, en route between the facilities. Uh, we coordinate very very closely. We have um, people from uh, from the Air Force resident here in our head office uh, in Ottawa at 77 Metcalf on a permanent basis as, uh, as liaisons um, uh, for operational reasons, for policy reasons. So we coordinate all the time, um, not only with obviously with the, the Canadian military, but with NORAD generally and um, facilitating all of the work that, that they need to do. Um, another question here, do you, and I don't know, um... Anyway, thank you. Uh, can, uh, can Nav Canada recruit skilled workers from other countries? And we actually get a lot of people at Elevate controllers from other countries that are trying to come over. And yep. it's, it's, uh, yeah, we, um, you know, um, we were, we've the past, oh, I guess going back about six years, seven years, um, we were short on a, a number of uh, job sets and controllers in particular, I guess. Um, and so we put a lot of money into training um, because we want to train here in Canada and train 
uh, new people, young people to become controllers uh, and flight service specialists and, and the other jobs we have. But we also look um, overseas. Uh, we don't do an awful lot of recruiting. Um, you know, ANSPs, air traffic management, it's a small world. Um, it's a small community worldwide. Um, so we don't go poaching people from, from our friends uh, elsewhere. Uh, but there are people who want to move to Canada uh, who are qualified in their home country. Uh, they have to come when they come here, they have to uh, qualify here. Um, and so we have a number of people who, who have done that. Absolutely. Yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely quite a few people that uh, recently have been reaching out to us. Yes. So I don't know yeah. what's going on down in the States that they want to come work <laughs> up here, but yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. okay. Um, so some people, here's another question for you uh, mm-hmm. from one of the, the people watching. Some people say that the future of air traffic control will be automated one day, no need for controllers. Is that something that you see happening? Yeah, I, I, I hear that a lot, um, and maybe it's my age. I just don't see it, uh, not in my lifetime. It uh, doesn't mean it won't happen, but I, what I, I don't think that the, the, uh, uh, the human in the loop will ever disappear. Um, I think that uh, the, the nature of the job may change from really active controlling, uh, control and, uh, and intervention uh, to more of a monitoring role and intervention sort of as required. Um, and I think that's the way the job will go. I think that uh, there will be obviously more and more and more uh, degrees of automation uh, that will facilitate that monitoring and facilitate the resolution of, of, uh, of, of conflicts between, uh, between aircraft. But no, I don't think that we're ever going to see the human completely out of the loop. There's jobs for everybody forever. So what about drones? Like with the future of drones and, and uh, last week we had a, a panel yeah. of, uh, on drones and they're talking about highways in the skies for drones. Yeah. And, you know, I was asking them, do you anticipate that air traffic control will, will control these highways in the skies, these drones or not? And that answer, no one can really answer that yet. What do you think? I think that, I mean, it's a great question and it's something that we are, uh, spending a fair bit of time thinking about and working on. Um, and I don't know that anyone has got it entirely figured out yet. Uh, but yeah, there's going to have to be coordination, uh, just as there's coordination between aircraft that have, you know, pilots in the cockpit, you've got to, you know, you're going to have to have coordination between drones and between drones and, and uh, piloted aircraft. Um, and it's best to have that coordination in one central place by one body. Uh, rather than by disparate bodies. And so uh, I think that, you know, the management of the airspace, even though there are designated flight, you know, highways, as you, as you say, for, for, for drones or uh, designated areas, um, uh, as the amount of traffic increases on the drone side, and it's already, you know, hugely outstripping the number of GA that we have, for example, or the number of uh, regular air aircraft, um, more and more we're going to have to integrate all of that. And, uh, uh, and as I say, I think it's best to have it managed by, by one entity, one body. So mm-hmm. it'll be us. Yeah. Boy, yeah. it's the future is yep. going to be so interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Here's another COVID question. Um, yeah. Aside from the obvious loss of revenue, how else has NAV Canada uh, been affected by COVID-19? Well, I mean, the big uh, impact on I know the employees us, was a big one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the big, you know, our, the big impact on us has been um, 
the revenue, obviously, with traffic falling off, we make our, our money based on traffic. So our revenues have fallen off. But uh, our key you know, concern um, in terms of responding to COVID has been the health and safety of our employees and the continuity of safe operations. So, uh, and I, you know, I talk about those two things, but they're really all about the same thing. It's making sure that um, we have uh, all of our employees in the best shape they can be in. We do everything we can to ensure their safety and their health so that we can continue to operate. So um, we've had some enormous changes in the way we operate um, since the beginning of this. Uh, we have, you know, completely revamped how we schedule staff and how we schedule people to come into work um, away from the way we used to do it to a, a crew system by and large. Uh, the changes we've made in the workplace, not only, you know, a, a head office situation where we have lots of people working from home, but in our operational facilities where we've, you know, separated off and segregated working stations and, you um, you know, set up backup stations that are sanitized in case there's a problem. Um, so yeah, the revenue is, the revenue loss is a huge impact, um, but it's just, there's nothing we can do about it. What we can do about something about and what we've really been focused on is everything we can to make sure that, um, you know, people are healthy and safe. Um, and I think we've done, knock on wood, a, a great job. We've had very, very few people who have uh, come down with um, a COVID infection. Um, we haven't lost any uh, hours of operation, unlike a number of facilities around the world where they've had to go to ATC zero um, because they, you know, they've had too many infections and they, they can't keep the facility open. Um, we've had none of those kinds of issues. So as I say, knock on wood, to date we've been pretty successful. So now the challenge is really, okay, um, let's, look at how we're going to reopen and go back to some semblance of normality as uh, you know, the ability to control the, um, the spread of the infection uh, is, uh, is, is better um, and traffic starts to come up. So we need to start reopening um, a fair bit more of our ability to, um, to handle the traffic. And um, how are we going to do that? How are we going to reopen in the same way, ensuring safe, you know, safe workplace, healthy workplace, health of all the employees. So as a leader of a company during a time like this, like as a human, it, like, is it, is it stressful when you have to make decisions, like even going forward, like, like reopening, you're going to have to make decisions on what, what a schedules look like, what, you know, what does it look like? And knowing that the employees might be happy and might not be happy. Like, yeah. like as, as a human, is that like, I would think in your position that that would be very stressful. Do you find it stressful or, or is it just? Absolutely. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, let there be no mistake. The last few months have been some of the most stressful, uh, you know, in, at, that I've had in, uh, at any time in my, in my working career. And that includes, you know, going to court and doing trials and those sorts of things that are, that are, that are stressful as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, we have had just an enormous loss of revenue, so we have no cash. Um, so working through solutions to that, uh, but also at the same time, making a number of decisions on a daily basis. And we've been meeting, you know, on a daily basis, seven days a week for a few months now um, to deal with that kind of response. And, you know, we have all, we all have different, different level of risk tolerance. We all have, 
accepted or denied what's happening uh, at a different pace or a different rate. Some people never thought it was a problem. Some still don't think it's a problem. Others are just, you know, terrified and horrified by what's going on and what some of their neighbors are doing and, and everywhere in between. And so as we, you know, we navigate through that and we navigate through that in literally every jurisdiction in Canada, you know, with federal laws, provincial laws, municipal laws, public health laws, laws that not only affect our employees directly, but affect their families and their children, you know, and their spouses and what, and taking all of that into account and accommodating as best we can all of that. Um, yeah, that's been, it's been stressful because you've got to make sure that people are safe. Yeah. 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 I can't imagine. Like, I mean, a lot of people think, oh, you're the CEO, you know, that's easy. You get, everyone else gets to do the work. Like, I just managing all that. I just can't imagine. Uh, well, we've got some great people. We got great people in this organization and, and, a, and a number of great people who have been really actively involved in navigating through this and, and yeah. giving some really good advice. So uh, they make the job a lot easier. Wow. Um, okay. So another question for you. Uh, yeah. With Canadian airports uh, processes changing daily, how do you keep up with the most current information being delivered by the Canadian airports? So uh, as I so go back to uh, you know 2001 2000 to 2003 when we when we went through 9/11 and then you know the airline bankruptcies and and SARS and all of that one of the things the lessons we learned was the need to ha to have a really mature and fulsome um, uh, emergency management program um, and so we put it into place back then in the in, in the years following those events and. Um, one of the things we've always been focused on because of 2003 and SARS was what happens when there's a pandemic and what the impact that it has. So we have uh, a structure where we have a national emergency management team and we have regional emergency management teams. So we can take a national view. We also take regional views and they're very plugged into what's going on, not only in Nav Canada, not only in public health, but also with our partners like airports. Um, we also have our stakeholder relations group uh, headed up by Heather McGonigal, um, who's all constantly in touch with the various airports across the country. Uh, what are they doing? What do we need to know? How are we working with them? Um, from my perspective, I have great relationships with um, airport CEOs across the country, and uh, I talk to them on a regular basis. I talk with um, uh, Joyce Car Joy Carter down in Halifax, who is the CEO of Halifax International, but also the chair of the Canadian Airport Council um, on a regular basis so that I know what the airports across the country are doing as well. So a lot of it is communicating, you know, at all levels, regionally, nationally, on a stakeholder basis at the CEO level, um, really understanding, you know, what challenges they have and, uh, and how we can continue to ensure that uh, operations are going to continue and they're going to be safe. Wow. Okay. Um, now the question we brought in here is, uh, we hear about all the layoffs in the airlines. It's so sad. They're just, yep. it's so sad hearing about them all. Has Canada had to lay off any air traffic controllers? No, we have not. Um, you know, we have suffered a significant reduction in revenue. Um, and so we've had to manage our cash. So what we have done is offer early retirement incentives to a, a number of uh, groups. Um, and when I say groups is mainly based upon 
age and length of service. So people who have been with us a long time and uh, might ordinarily be thinking about retirement, we've encouraged them through an incentive program to maybe advance some of their thinking. And um, so we've incented them to, um, uh, to retire and um, uh, leave the organization. And so some of those have been controllers, but it's been in all functional groups across the company. Um, but uh, no, we have not uh, laid off. Um, we can't guarantee we won't be. We need to, as I said, you know, watch the situation in the U.S. and you know, continue to monitor and see where we are. Um, uh, but at this point, we're doing everything we can to avoid layoffs, and we're going to continue to do everything we can to avoid layoffs uh, as long as we can. Um, as I mentioned a little earlier, uh, going back five, six years ago, um, we were short in terms of the number of controllers we had in the organization. And it takes a long time to train a controller and get a, a controller qualified. It takes, it can take up to two years for an IFR controller to be, um, uh, to be checked out. Um, so you want to think long and hard about laying off controllers when mm -hmm. you've gone through that and that's the lead time to get them requalified. And we have to, you know, keep in mind that this too shall pass. And at some point, that traffic will be back up there at those levels and we're going to need those people. Yeah. I would, do you, do you see that, you know, there's going to be a shortage again with like the people who are retiring and then there's some, there was a little bit of a delay in the training as people had to stay home for a little bit. And yeah. like you say, it takes so long. Yeah. Well, I think it's going to depend on how, how quickly the traffic levels come back. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think it's going to be a while. It's going to be another year on our estimates at least before it's even back to about, 80% of where it was. So, you know, we've got some time, um, but we don't want to miss out on that opportunity. If that's, you know, we, as you say, training has been delayed, number of really, really great people have retired, uh, hard to replace them. And so we've got to take advantage of this time that we have to make sure that we have the right staffing levels. So uh, moving it sort of in a different subject to Gina's asking, I'm wondering what is being done in regards to the inclusion of different groups with NEV Canada? So uh, at NAV Canada, um, we have a, um, a profile of leadership uh, and what we expect of our leaders and what we want of our leaders. And in a number of areas, there are things that we want, but there are certain things that uh, are non-negotiable for us. And one of the values, if you want to be in management, if you want to be a leader at NAV Canada, is that you uh, have a respect for diversity and you are interested and you are um, uh, committed to building an inclusive work workplace. Uh, that is simply something that if you're not interested in that, then you, you should work, think about some, working somewhere else. Because if you're going to be a leader at NAV Canada, you have to be uh, devoted to that. Um, we think it's the right thing to do. Um, we think we're a better company for being a diverse uh, company and having a diverse workforce and for having an inclusive workforce. And a lot of what we've been doing um, over the past five years has really been centered around diversity and inclusion. We have, uh, we have programs around it. We have people devoted to working on it full time. Um, but beyond that, it is something that informs you know, everything that we do and think about as we make hiring decisions. Um, some, some of the, the folks on the webinar may, um, may know that we've just restructured or we've announced a restructuring of the executive group effective September 1. Uh, and in doing that, we took pains to make sure that, you know, coming out of this with the restructured executive group, 
there is going to be uh, diversity in that group and there is going to be uh, gender equality, for example, on, uh, on that group. Um, so normal operations, normal business, business in extraordinary times like we're facing now, you don't abandon your values, you don't uh, put them on the back burner, you continue to move forward based on those values. I love that you don't apologize for that. No. You know, like it, it, you're just really clear. That's what it is at Nav Canada. And yeah. uh, I, I love that so much. Um, okay. Uh, couple, time for a couple more questions here. Um, good afternoon. Uh, the future of air navigation is about optimization of airspace capacity. In this context, does Nav Canada support ICAO initiative towards development of system-wide information management? And what efforts Nav Canada and what efforts Nav Canada implements to protect of air navigation operations and develop the global cybersecurity intelligence within Canadian airspace? Those are great questions. Um, <laughs> I, sh I, I should have our, our engineers and our techs on, on to answer this, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, so uh, system-wide information management, SWIM, um, is a significant part of what our uh, aeronautical information management people are focused on. Um, we, even though we are reducing our spend on a number of projects because of the times we're in and the, and the shortage on, uh, of revenues, uh, what's today, Thursday, uh, Tuesday, we had a, a meeting where we approved some expenditures on a capital program around enhancing SWIM. Um, so we absolutely uh, support it and are actively engaged in it. Um, cyber is equally um, a, a very, very important issue for us. Um, we uh, have recently announced that we're merging our business systems group with our engineering group. Um, we have had two cyber groups and we're going to be having one cyber group. We think that we can better address cyber issues uh, that way. Um, as a national infrastructure provider, uh, we're a target for a lot of, you know, the bad people in the world who want to disrupt or, or uh, you know, interfere with, uh, with what's happening. Um, and so we need to take the measures and we do take the measures and we spend a lot of time uh, focused on cyber and we spend a lot of money on cyber and cyber prevention. Yeah. Good oh, okay. question. Thank you. Um, okay. One more question from the attendees and then I have a couple to finish up. Um, oh, I have a couple here. Um, how are you, so from Caleb, how are you able to develop consistency among air traffic control? I was flying yesterday in a Cessna at, at a classy airport. Traffic was heavy. Air traffic control sounded flustered and busy. I've listened to other U.S. cities, ATCs from time to time. There's some variety with air traffic control, which I think is to be expected for many reasons. Does privatization try to create consistency and do they think consistency is important or is flexibility equally important because of the variety of people and cultures in Canada? That's a great question. He's, he's from the States. Yeah. yeah, and this is something that we are really focused on. Um, uh, I would differentiate uh, consistency with what I would call commonality. So when it comes to consistency, um, any air navigation service provider, whether it's the FAA, us, Nats in the UK, anywhere, um, is all about standards. And you set certain standards, you have common phraseology, uh, you do want that consistency because you don't want to fly, you know, through, we have 110 facilities. You don't want to have 110 different kinds of, you know, operation. Um, you want to, and you expect as a pilot to have consistency everywhere. Um, 
So we absolutely um, try and build that into all of our training and into our standards and into uh, how we uh, operate um, at any given time. Um, what I refer to as commonality is uh, despite all of that consistency, we still do run each operation a little bit differently. Um, that's important because every little bit of airspace can be a little bit different. Every locale can be a little bit different. Uh, but more and more, we, we do want to have a common approach across the country. So uh, we have 100, if we have 110 towers, um, as I said, we've got a, you know, a, a traffic management system in each of those towers. Uh, each of them is a little bit different. Um, well, does it really make sense to have 110 different kind, you know, adaptations of a, of a system? So we're trying to bring some commonality to those systems, some commonality to how we manage, for example, high level airspace, you know, right across the country. Um, so yes, consistency, absolutely fundamental, you know, to, to what we do and what we try to uh, ingrain in, in everybody in the organization. Um, a little bit of differences, but as much as possible, we want to have that commonality across our operation. Okay. Uh, I lied. I'm going to take one more question because uh, I want you to answer Trevor's question here. The CAA in Trinidad and Tobago generates their main revenue, revenues from airlines uh, using their airspace. With the shutdown of so many borders, are there any suggestion, suggestions to help them survive in these times? Uh, if there are, I hope I, they could give them to me. <laughs> we could mm -hmm. maybe find some, uh, some other revenues. I think around the world, um, a lot of airports and air navigation service providers are being hit hard by the drop in traffic because we earn our revenues from those who fly. Uh, and if people aren't flying, if the airlines aren't flying, then we don't have the revenues. Um, in many, many jurisdictions, the governments have stepped up uh, to, you know, backstop uh, the airports and the air navigation service providers. Um, not sure what the situation is uh, in Trinidad and Tobago with the CAA. Uh, here in Canada, the government has not done that as, as of yet. We're still talking to them, but uh, as of yet, they haven't done that uh, as they have, for example, in the U.S., um, but that's, you know, if people aren't flying, that's really about the only source of uh, revenue you're going to have is looking to the government. Okay. Um, so just uh, a last question on leadership. Yeah. People who are looking to grow in their companies, whatever it is, whether it's inside Nav Canada or inside other companies, you know, what can, what can they do now? They're in their jobs and, and they, they're, they're looking at, you know, a step ahead, two steps ahead. Do you have any advice on, on what they can do now? You know, one of the best um, pieces of advice or, or observations, I guess, I ever heard was uh, from Lynn Moreau, who's our uh, general manager of our Montreal ACC. And she was, we were having a discussion about people who want to, um, to move up and move up and move up. And um, she commented, and I absolutely agree, that one of the best things you can do is don't worry so much about moving up or moving somewhere else. Um, look to the, all the various opportunities that exist in the normal course, the committees, the projects um, that are there and need people to work on them or need help. Um, you're gonna learn so much in getting involved outside of your, you know, your normal day-to-day -day job and getting involved in those projects uh, and taking advantage of those opportunities. You're going to learn so much about how to deal with people. You're going to learn so much about how to manage your way through something. Uh, and that kind of thing is so easily accessible 
um, and so readily available and provides such great opportunities for you. Um, the chance to do something a little bit different yeah. uh, in that kind of perspective. You're a great example of that. I mean, look what you did. You took advantage of some opportunities that were there to, to do something different. And I suspect that it, you would see that as, you know, having been really beneficial to your growth as a leader in the organization. And it's, so it's that kind, it's those opportunities that are there um, and they are there. Take advantage of them. Yeah, you never know when you take a step to, to do something different or new, you, you, you just don't know where that's going to take you. I certainly didn't know yep. what it was going to do to my life. So um, yeah. what, what is, um, what's your biggest accomplish, accomplishment or legacy that you want to leave Nav Canada with when it's time to go? Well, you know, when I started in this job in 2016, it was about um, providing value to all stakeholders, and that includes the employees, and really making this one of the best places in Canada to work. Um, I think we've done a great job. We've been recognized as a top employer in Canada, you know, for the last years, the last four years in a row. Um, that's, to me, you know, an accomplishment of what we set out to do beginning in 2016 we're in some difficult times right now. And so a lot of the things that we built uh, in order to support that, that approach um, are going to, you know, suffer in the, certainly in the short term. Uh, so finding our way through this and still making this a great company and a great place to work is really what I want to focus on and what I, you know, what I want to leave the company with uh, when I do go. Wow. Well, thank you. And I know uh, I can tell you that all the employees I know love working at Nav Canada. So we're all very lucky indeed. Good. So I can't thank you enough for being Happy here you, and, and just and great. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing everything. And everyone who's watching, I, I hope you really enjoyed this and, uh, and learned a little something from Neil Wilson. And we will talk to you next time when uh, I believe we have Kathy Fox, the chair of the Transport Safety Board up next. Uh, we'll get a chance to talk to her and uh, have a great week. And uh, Neil, we will we'll talk again sometime soon. We will. Thanks, Kendra. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye. See ya. Bye. Bye-bye.